People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello and a very warm welcome to episode 5 of series 2 of the People's Poetry Podcast. My name is Jimmy Bowman. It's my absolute pleasure to have you here along with me. This is the podcast that brings poetry to you, the people, as I travel across the UK talking to established and brand new poets alike in my mission to find out why we still have such a love affair with poetry. As an aspiring poet myself, I wanted to know why something as archaic as poetry is still so loved and so relevant to many today. Now, as you'll heard in the last episode, I went up to Kidderminster to meet Bobby Parker, but I also had the pleasure of meeting a second poet whilst in Kidderminster. This episode's featured poet is the hilarious Neil Lawrenson. Now, I had a lovely chat with Neil in a pub garden in Kidderminster. We discussed ambiguity in poetry, enjoying poetry for its sound, using the everyday as a muse for subject matter, the road to being published, comedy and its place in poetry, and poetry's place in the modern world. I must warn you, throughout the duration of this conversation, there is a smattering of deadpan jokes on Neil's behalf. He's a very funny man. I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed recording it. So I'm in a beautiful pub garden. I say beautiful, uh, I mean, it's got grass, but uh, we have Neil Lawrenson. Thank you uh, for talking to me. Uh, my pleasure. And I think the chap over there has got quite a lot of grass as well, but that's a different subject. <laughs> so the Kidderminster tour, two, I've never been to Kidderminster and I've got two poets in one day. Let's talk about, we were talking uh, before, and I think it's, it's, it's quite a good, I was interested in uh, how you got into poetry. So... We're gonna to have to do it again. I'm very sorry, but so it's been a, it's been a long road. You say two years ago was your debut collection published. So let's talk. How did you fall into poetry? Well, sorry to be a pedant. It was three years ago, uh, 2016. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I'm an English teacher, not maths teacher. Cheers. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, Silhouette Press, uh, Coventry-based, fantastic publishers. Um, yeah, I was the first. Um, well, I had the first collection with them, uh, 2016. Uh, what got me into poetry was uh, reading Philip Larkin at university, so around about 2002. Um, uh, and as I said earlier, off mic, I was studying poetry as part of my English lit course. And um, Philip Larkin I discovered in a bookshop in Cambridge, and it, I took it from there. I started writing my own dreadful parodies. Um, and yeah, and Larkin stayed with me ever since, and I think he's been an inspiration for a lot of people who maybe up until reading him thought poetry was uh, for people who went to university you know whereas actually what I believe poetry should be is about saying what you feel and saying it in the simplest way possible that's exactly why why I'm doing this yeah I was trying to I was fed up with people talking about poetry and and how it was elitist Uh, so I suppose in that sense it interests me what what was it about Larkin's poetry that that really spoke to you um, because I could understand it on a first reading. Um, well, I, I say that, maybe him looking down now, he'd be thinking, well, he'd be wa- wanting to say to me, well, no, it should require four or five readings to get what it truly meant. But, I, you know, I defy anyone to read Larkin and not understand broadly what he's saying in most of his poetry. Some of the poems are quite difficult, or I found them quite difficult, but mm. he said it directly in a beautiful way, and I think that's what all poetry should strive to achieve um and as i said earlier he used common language he used swear words which i think I'd, I'd, I'd never seen until i'd read his poetry and i'm not saying that swear words are inherently good but when he used them they were appropriate because it that was part of the emotion that he was trying to convey so it was uh, you know an epiphany 
you know, reading his, his poetry and thinking, you know what, I've got things I want to say and I want to say it in a simple way. Um, so let's have a go. What about poetry that that is deliberately ambiguous and it it, it it does require you to read it sort of four or five times? Do you feel there is a place for that? I mean, I, I mean personally, I, I'm in two sort of two minds about that. Sometimes I uh, read those poems and... I read them a couple of times and think, right, great, I've got it. Like Duffy is a great example of that. But sometimes I can read poetry and it, it, you know, it just doesn't resonate with me at all. But does that make that bad poetry? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I don't think it makes it bad poetry. But it seems that poetry falls into two camps: saying what you, uh, saying what you feel, and and toying with language. And I, and, I, and I hear what you're saying about those difficult poems. I think those ones that are difficult to understand are, tend to be the ones that are toying with language and and enjoying the sound of words. Although, you know, when I say that, I think of Jared Manley Hopkins, who, you know, if you read it out loud, I mean, he's a 19th century poet, and you read them out loud, you'll, you will enjoy the sounds of his poems. You might not know what he's saying yeah. um, at first, but you will enjoy the, the sound, the rhyme, the internal rhymes um, and maybe well I'm being biased because I personally love him mm. um, but then he's difficult so I'm contradicting what I said earlier because actually he's quite difficult to understand in some of his poems um, or maybe the majority of them um, but he's saying what he feels and he's saying it in what some might say is a difficult way to understand um, but yet I think that he's he's doing two things he's, he's conveying heartfelt emotions but also toying with language i think a lot of modern poetry dare i say is simply toying with language and and forgetting about the emotion that they want to convey and yeah. and if you and poetry for me is is about emotion or, or making a really strong point hence political poetry and, and if it's just simply playing with words Unless you're Jared Manley Hopkins, you're going to struggle, I think. Yeah. So your debut collection on Silhouette Press, Exclamation Marks, quite a political title. Did you always sort of write, you've just mentioned, you know, sort of poetry that has a political element, it's got a message to convey. Is that always been the sort of poetry you, you've gone to write first? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, I've actually tried to avoid uh, politics in poetry because for me poetry's been an escape from from the everyday. Although again that's quite contradictory because of course a lot of the source material comes from the everyday. Yeah. But for me poetry is about having fun and uh, I like to make people laugh and whether they do or not it's sort of the older I get is the more incidental it becomes because as long as it makes me laugh because that, that's how much of a curmudgeon I am. I'm like, well, if you can't get my jokes, then it's your problem. <laughs> um, but now and again, the politics slips into the poetry and um, and some things just seem unavoidable and you feel that you have to get your point across in a, in a, in a poem. And like I said earlier about strong emotions. And, mm. and so, for example, uh, Margaret Thatcher. Um, while I wrote a poem about Margaret Thatcher... Um, she tried to ban dildos. Um, I've seen this on the, the love yeah. truncheons, yeah. <laughs> yeah, love truncheons, yeah. Um, and my point wasn't so much about the love truncheons, it was about the hypocrisy of Thatcher having such a strong opinion on, on love truncheons slash dildos and not um, people being battered to death in Chile. So, you know, that's a, an event that happened, or I, I hope this happened, not happening, 
um, many, many years ago. But I felt so strongly about that that I, I felt compelled to write a daft poem about it. Mm. But but generally speaking, for me, poetry is fun times. It's puns. It's it's jokes wrapped up as poems. It's going into a pub in Kidderminster, meeting 30, 40 people that I've never seen before and, and making them laugh. And, yeah. and, and that, that for me. And so politics is what I do as a counsellor because I care about the world and that's honestly why I do it. But poetry is usually for me an escape from all of that. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the whole counsellor thing because, you know, being a com- counsellor is, is very commendable and, as you said, you're doing it because you care about the world. Do you find, as a counsellor, that you have to perhaps censor your own poetry sometimes because of that? Um, I haven't so far, no. Although it's a, it is a good question because um, I found out the hard way that if you say things without thinking or not thinking through enough, then the local press will certainly catch you out. And I found out that out the hard way. It's been, it's been hugely stressful, actually. Mm. I won't go into the details now. It's nothing too bad. Um, <laughs> honestly, it isn't. And, uh, with hindsight, I can say that. Um, but, yeah, if you're a counsellor, you've obviously got responsibility to choose your words wisely. And that's what a poet does. They choose their words wisely. Yeah. Um, see what I did there. Very clever. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, uh, I have a responsibility in the job as a counsellor. It's not my day job. My day job is at university. Um, but yeah, um, I have to be careful what I say. And I, I don't want to upset people because I've got 4,200 people that I'm officially meant to represent. And, and if I'm as flippant in my counsellor role as I am on stage reading poetry, then I'm going to get into trouble and I'm going to upset people. Mm. So I separate those two roles, counsellor and poet, as, as best I can. I concur. As a, t- as a teacher, I you know some students have found this and they listen to this, so I have to be very careful what I say. But no, I, I, I understand that struggle. Talk, talk to me about exclamation marks then. So for people that aren't familiar with your work or with the collection... What is it about? What what sort of you know ideas are in there? Well, the, the title poem exclamation marks is obviously a, a silly pun on Karl Marx. Um, it's a great pun. Thank you very much. It's a great pun. Uh, yeah, I didn't actually want to call it um, that the collection up because it would suggest, and it does suggest that the collection is uh, is a very political collection, whereas it isn't really. A lot of the poems are about things that happen at home. So, for example, my son uh, finding my wife's. Russian dolls and flushing them down the toilet um, which is a pretty mundane thing to write about but I had fun with it but it's pretty tragic as well because those Russian dolls were bought as a present for my wife she's a teacher as well as well as yourself and um, the person who bought those Russian dolls actually um, died because she fell out of a hotel window mm. and um, and so those Russian dolls have quite a lot of symbolic sy- sy- symbolic that's the Stella talking everyone that um the symbolic value for for my wife Rachel and uh and yeah and my son flushed him down the toilet mm. so that's gold material for writing poetry but in, in in sort of true sense of poetry if you like it's turning the ordinary into extraordinary so you know that I mean that that sort of is gold material for poetry um I'd love to say it was extraordinary if I was if I had the same audiences that Ed Sheeran had, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or like if you watch the Fix You video by uh, by Coldplay, um, I think that would be extraordinary. Or you know, or or Dave and that punter turned up from stage and sang along with with Dave at Glastonbury Festival this year, that would be extraordinary. But when I'm sharing my poems with thirty people in a pub in Kidderminster, 
I hesitate to embellish with the word extraordinary. I, I think quite amusing is, is where I'm at. But thank you very much. I mean, extraordinary is also being called Dave on the world stage, isn't it? I can't believe he's got away with that name. You t- so, you, you know, you're published. And we were saying before we were recording that that is quite an achievement. That's quite a feat in itself. How did you go from studying poetry, thinking, I'm going to have a crack at this. And I mean, you spoke about sort of being unemployed and poetry before we start recording but how, how did you get to that stage because I mean part of the reason I'm doing this is as I've said to come around and talk to poets because I love poetry but also I am being slightly selfish in that I want to be published one day I'm an aspiring poet so I think people listening to this would like to hear sort of how, how that came about yeah well there was this fantastic website called ideas tap and I don't think it exists anymore and it always had opportunities for people like you and I just to submit work and and um through Ideas Tap, I found out about an opportunity with a magazine in Coventry called Here Comes Everyone, and they were inviting submissions on a theme. And the magazine was uh, the the edition was published in 2013. It's called Never Mind the Ballots. Lovely pun there. Well done, everyone at Here Comes Everyone. <laughs> Never mind the ballots. And uh, I submitted uh, a piece there, and I was unemployed at the time. I'm very sorry for myself. I, I spent a lot of time around uh, Worcester pushing a buggy around not an empty buggy by the way there was a a son uh, my son in that buggy i wasn't i wasn't a male version of a bag lady (laughs) i did have a purpose for going around worcester with a buggy my son was in the buggy and i felt very sorry for myself and i go i I went to the uh library in in worcester and found out about this opportunity through ideas tap I, i sent a submission it got accepted i ended up submitting five or six poems to here comes everyone magazine over a two-year period and um and then they were inviting submissions for a pamphlet and i thought well i've had five or six poems published with them already and this is through the silhouette press which was the publishing house for here comes everyone and my collection exclamation marks was the first collection published by silhouette press in 2016 um adam and gary came to my house in worcester all the way from Coventry and we got on really well and they took a punt and that was three years ago so I would say to people thinking about uh, getting things published you, you have to submit to, to magazines mm. um, you ha- it's like going for a job you need you need a track record yeah um, so I'm being attacked by a wasp um, hence the pause oh it's in my pint of Stella it's actually in my, my pint of Stella so yeah you, it's like going for a job you need to prove to the publishers that you've got a track record that you're serious yeah. about it um but in the absence of having uh, poems published then doing gigs you know so you, you spoke about this as well before we started recording and it, i find when i talk to poets they are very much they they come to poetry with the idea that they're a performance poet or the idea that they're a page poet but it's, it seems increasingly more the case that you have to sort of be both nowadays well like i said earlier we're, we're before the interview officially started we're in official time now. Yeah, I always thought that I'd simply publish... Well, the dream was just to publish poems, you know, just to have a book. Yeah. Um, and have another book and another book, and that was that. I, I'm now a poet, but but I found out uh, soon on that you need to perform. You need to make people aware that you exist through your performances in order to prove to a publisher, like I said, um, that you're serious about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the day of, in the age of social media, it's very straightforward to, you know, record yourself 
on your mobile phone and get your mate to hold your, your mobile phone while you're reading, even the three minute open mic slot. And, and that's proof to a potential publisher that you can do it. And then before you know it, you've, you've got a pamphlet out and then you've got possibly a, f- a full length collection and, and now you're a page poet, but hang on a minute, you thought you were a performance poet. So, you know, it's, uh, I hate the expression, but it's a false dichotomy. I mean, Simon Armitage, uh, our current poet laureate, he's, he's a page poet, but he does performances, you know, yeah. so it, it goes hand in hand. And um, like I said, if, if Jared Manley Hopkins was around in the 21st century he he i would hope that he'd be doing gigs bec- because his poetry sounds so wonderful read out loud but back in his day it was all on on, on the page so yeah. but no uh, it's, it's both i always thought that it would just be printed but um there's so much potential in performance poetry and um like i said to you before we start this recording that i hope to perform at a music festival why poetry at a music festival well it does it does make sense i mean because it's a performance mm. and, and you can have a lot of fun with poetry in a pub full of people who until then would say that they possibly hate poetry and um, you can have a lot of fun especially if you're doing stand-up poetry which is essentially comedy in disguise i think i think as well there's that r- rhythmical beauty to poetry as well so it makes sense for it to be at music festivals i mean i know latitude is a, is a big one of the main music festivals that sort of embraces it how how i mean i'm going to jump to an assumption here but I'm guessing if you studied poetry, you wasn't perhaps from a sort of performing background. So, so how was that jump for you to take, you know, these ideas you had? Because poetry is a very private thing mm. at the start. And how was it to then take those ideas on to the stage? There's probably a very uh, Freudian explanation for why <laughs> I, I feel the need to go on stage. In fact, on my way to get a train from Worcester to Kitty to see you for this interview, I, I saw someone with a T-shirt with uh, Pink Freud. I thought that was wonderful. There, um, there we are. I thought I'd just mention that. Um, but no, uh, why, why get on stage and why why share silly poems about toys being flushed down the toilet and bad puns about long dead political writers? Um, I just like to make people laugh, to be honest. And uh, and like I said, it, going into a pub full of people who perhaps hate poetry or indifferent to it um, you, right, you could argue well, why are they in the pub in the first place they should have seen the posters advertising a poetry gig but some people are caught unawares by poetry there's a fantastic poem by Ash Dickinson about this drive-by poetry people are caught unawares by, by poetry and and to see people laughing in response to a poem that uh, is the best feeling mm. because that's just something that I wrote in private about something that happened to me or something I read on Facebook or wherever and it's just a fantastic feeling because you know that person doesn't know me and I've made them laugh and yeah and and I'm not saying poetry should always be about making people laugh but that is it's a strong emotional reaction and what what I love about what you're saying is that you know your poems do conjure up many emotions but one of the main ones being laughter and I feel like people that are into poetry and again the reason I started this is because I hate that elitist idea that poetry is only about nature and daffodils wandering lonely as a cloud and all this you know and Tony Walsh is a great example of that we were speaking about him earlier and I watched his show and it was it was like watching a stand-up but with some really clever really thought out sort of passages of language in it as well there is a place for for comedy and poetry, isn't it? 
Oh, definitely now, yeah. I mean, well, I, I probably always has been, but but yeah, definitely now. There's loads and loads of stand-up poets. Um, you've got Elvis McGonagall, um, Luke Wright, who who curates the Latitude Poetry stage. I mean, he does a lot of serious stuff as well, but uh, he's a fantastically funny guy. Um, more likely, Steve Pottinger, uh, Wolverhampton, Willinhall. Sorry, Steve, if I got it wrong. Uh, anyway, loads and loads and loads of stand-up poets. It's really competitive, and this is why I'm struggling, actually, now to to get another another book out I think because there are so many poets who, who rightly so are, are submitting their work to to get that book published and a lot of funny poets mm. um, so the word poetry is, is is full of baggage I mean there's a quote from a book by Orwell that's reading on holiday about how you can disperse a crowd with the word poetry quicker than you can with a water cannon or something like that I mean poetry is just so loaded that people won't engage but if you call it stand-up event or yeah. you know, comedy with a, li- with a little bit of poetry or whatever you want to call it then you're more likely to get people to turn up and then you know their expectations are that you're going to do f- funny things uh, and they're not thinking oh this is a poetry class like a, like it was when I was at school which sadly um, a lot of people think well poetry is something that they only did at school and, and something that they should be switched off by but certainly not these days there's so many funny poets out there Perhaps that's why the whole spoken word sort of genre come out, because it was, you know, poetry put people off. You say about um, sort of people being sort of put off by the word poetry, um, which is, you know, I I agree with you. I think I think a lot of people are, but I think it's also some somewhat ironic. And you know, I was one of the poets I was chatting to on this series, Basie Gracie. We were talking about. Um, People more more than ever statistically are, are buying more poetry books now. There's been a you know a 12.3 million pounds were spent on poetry books last year, and most of the, the statistic, the biggest group of age bracket was was 34 to 18. Why do you think that is? Why why do you think people in 2019 are suddenly buying poetry again? Well, I've, I mean I've I've read this sort of similar discussion online. I mean. The explanation I, I've found for this tends to be along the lines of, oh, the world's messed up and people are looking for explanations for why the world is messed up. Mm. Um, yeah, um, I accept that and that's one reason why I write poetry. Because I love distraction. It's why I watch a film, it's why I write poetry, it's why I go for a run, it's why I have a pint. You know, because I don't want to think about how evil the world can be, you know. Mm. Um, but I think another explanation for why... Um, the sales figures have gone up so much so recently is that, is that because people are increasingly on their phones and and it's bite-sized information and poetry tends to be bite-sized it's mm. something something that you can read when you're at the train station waiting for your late train yeah. it is something that you can read in the staff room when you're meant yeah. to be planning a lesson you know it's it's it and that's a massive appeal for me in, in poetry because I am a really slow reader. I, I really struggle with novels. I love novels, but it takes me ages to read them. I envy people like my wife who can just read a novel in a week and yeah. or a day, whatever it is, and that's it done. It takes me ages and ages to read a book. Um, so, yeah, poetry is bite-sized. It can be digested in a few seconds. And, and Twitter, I know uh, Jess Green has spoken about, about Twitter, albeit in a different uh, context. But, I mean, Brian Bilston is that the according to uh, Ian Macmillan, the Poet Laureate of Twitter, <laughs> and the effect, the power that uh, Brian Bielsen ca- can convey in a tweet 
you know, so 140 characters, 280 characters, or indeed now, you know, you can attach your poems, but they're very short still, is is incredible. And I think that's a massive appeal for people who are on their phones a lot of the day. Yeah. And poetry fits in with that sort of brain pattern of, you know, digesting information in a very short space of time. So it's a very simplistic uh, angle on it, but I'm going to say it anyway. No, I, I honestly, I think that's actually... Uh spot on i never thought of that before but I, i'm always saying about people haven't got time for anything anymore and uh, poetry S- sometimes with the students at school they they go to me oh so poetry's dead i hate poetry i say to them right what would you rather us read great expectations 700 pages or a couple of poems or a couple of poems i said yeah but isn't it amazing that you can get all that from a poem in that time and i i was talking to Imogen Sterling on on this series as well, and I think it was off recording, but we were talking about, is that there's a collection called Milk and Honey, is it? By yeah, Rupi Kaur. Yeah. Uh, Kaur, sorry, I don't know the pronunciation. Sorry, Rupi. Uh, Rupi Kaur or Rupi Kaur. Um, yeah, that's massive. It's sold over a million copies. And it, it, in that 12.3 million that I was talking about last year, it made up something like million of that. Oh it, right. it, it, it was the, the highest selling poetry book by a country mile. And I, as as a poet and as someone who appreciates poetry, I, I don't quite understand it because they're so short. And I thought, can you really get anything from that? But it kind of fits in with what you're saying. And that's sort of the reason why this Insta poetry that Bobby Parker was talking about as well. You know, these sort of small, I don't know, 16 word paragraphs is taking off. That would make sense. Well, yeah, but like I said, uh, Brian Bilson conveys um, so much emotion and power and amusement through his tweets, his poetry tweets. And if I'm not too um, adult to remember a poem, let, let, let me try one. Otter nonsense. It's hard to understand otters. They mix up all their letters and only use vowels. There we are. <laughs> that's, that's, there. That's, that's a scoop there. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so you've performed, you know, you've performed with uh, at least two of the poets I've had on here. you performed with Jess Green. Right, saying and Bobby Parker as well. Uh, well, I think I wasn't standing next to them on stage, but um, <laughs> the same lineup. The same same lineup. Yeah. So Bobby, uh, uh, from memory, he was in Worcester five years ago, and Jess Green. I, I, I actually really pushed for her to to read at this gig. Um, so I, I like to take credit for the fact that she came to to Bark Green, which uh, for those who don't know is a a large posh village just south of Birmingham. And she was the headliner there, of course. Um, so, yeah, I've read alongside, um, well, on the, the same evening, as m- loads of wonderful poets. Um, Ash Dickinson, I mentioned, um, and there my mind goes blank. Uh, Jess Green, I'll say again, while my mind tries to think of all the other wonderful poets that I've read alongside. Um, but, yeah, but uh, and I th- the point is that if you if you want to experiment, if you want to share your poetry, you will end up soon enough reading on the same evening as poets that you would consider to be beyond your realm you know that's how open poetry is and just just go to a poetry evening and don't be put off by the fact that someone's headlining because there'll be an open mic slot yeah and and before you know it it, you've you've got the bug you know you're going to as many poetry gigs as you can and and uh, like i said that can be sort of your portfolio and even if you haven't had loads of poems published in magazines the fact that you've shown that commitment and you've performed on the same night as Jess Green or Bobby Park or Elvis McGonagall or Luke Wright or whoever, um, 
it, that, that demonstrates to people that you're serious about yeah. it. I'm, I'm, I'm framing it as if it's a sort of a career path. I do work in a careers team. That I should say that to your listeners. Um, so I'm always telling people about how important it is to build up a track record. But, but no, in all seriousness, if you want to pursue poetry as more than just a, a hobby, something you do in your spare time, to actually have a lot more fun with it, and, and uh, you know, and, and maybe earn some money. But of course, you don't earn very much money in poetry. Um, but you know, to do it for as a lifelong journey then do those gigs and, yeah. and don't be put off by the fact that someone's headlining because soon enough you'll be the one headlining i think that's brilliant advice you know this um it's certainly something i i got put off by the fact that people were headlining i forgot about their open mic slots but it's something i've been doing more and more recently sort of doing the open mic slots all that leaves me to ask you neil is a what is next for you what is next for me well uh, in january this year I made a really silly horror film called Teddy Scare. I urge you to check it out. It's on my YouTube channel. Um, it's three minutes, 23 seconds long. Um, so, like I said, we're all, all about bite-sized information. Just go on YouTube, three minutes of your life. And when I was on holiday uh, a couple of weeks ago, or a week ago, my son said, Daddy, when are you going to make Teddy Scare 2? And it was the best moment of my year and that's that's what I'm going to do, I'm going to make Teddy Scare 2 and the main actors are going to be m my son Rowan and my daughter Grace uh, and as for poetry <laughs> um, well I'd love to get a full collection out um, the publisher that I approached earlier this year rejected it which has really, really harmed me by the way I've really been cut up about that because um, I kind of put all my eggs in one basket mm. but that happens and there are other publishers out there yeah and we'll get some more gigs and make more people laugh so you know it, poetry for me is all about fun times and i want to have more fun if i have another book out great if not so what because there'll be another pub in kidderminster putting on a poetry night yeah and yeah. i'll turn up and share a silly joke disguised as a poem and make one guy and his dog maybe the dog will laugh as well <laughs> And and that's the plan. So yeah, nothing too serious. Uh, just to keep having fun and make that sequel to Teddy Scare. Um, as long as my kids are laughing, I'm laughing. So. So we've got a sequel, a sequel to Teddy Scare, and we've also got another collection of poetry that you're going to keep pushing. You're going to keep pushing. Listen to Rachel Lewis. She said, you know, she set herself 50 rejections. I quite liked that idea. Uh, I thought that was a great idea. Uh, have you got any dates coming up? Or are we going to need to check your social media, in which you're going to plug now, to, to check for those dates? Yes, please flock to my Twitter account. I think I follow twice as many people that follow me, which is not good for a Twitter account. I think Twitter's on its way out, because I, I am more active with a podcast on Instagram. Uh, that's how I find most of my people over Twitter and Facebook. I, I need to make more of an effort, I think. Uh, you, you might be right, you might be right. Um, yeah, the... Uh, go to my website, uh, neillawrenson.com, and have a look at my videos. Uh, book me in for your festivals. Um, if you're going to perform at a festival, I'm told it needs to be about six to nine months in advance that you need to actually be on the bill. Yeah. So, yeah, you need to be well ahead of the curve if you want to perform at festivals. Uh, tip for all the people listening out there. Um, no, I'd just love to get uh, more gigs, and uh, preferably in different places, um, because the problem with performing in Worcester is that people have heard <laughs> poems before, or most yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I've, I've been to some wonderful places this year. Um, 
like Burton upon Trent, and where else did I go to? Um, Barnt Green. Um, so yeah, if you if you want a funny, funny, funny stand-up poet, I am here waiting for you. <laughs> Neil, I think that is what the world needs in this uh, sort of political turmoil that we're in. I do think there's a place for stand-up comedy. I think you made a very great case for it. Thank you so much for talking to me. And I'm going to make sure we sort out some nights. There we go. Thank you very much for coming all the way from South London to Kidderminster. We appreciate it. This episode's recital comes from our feature poet himself, Neil Lawrenson. This is the opening poem in his collection, Exclamation Marks, and it's called Exclamation Marks. Enjoy. Dear Mr and Mrs Marks, Your son, Carl, has excelled this term. He has achieved almost full marks, if you'll excuse the pun. However, whilst we tolerate his regular exclamations about exploitation and alienation, we simply cannot abide his carefree attitude towards punctuation. His work is frequently spoiled by rogue apostrophes, though misplaced commas are much commoner. I could go on about his persistent misuse of semicolons, but I won't labour the point. May I simply add that he would certainly profit from putting a full stop to these errors. I would not want him to start thinking that class is a struggle. Brilliant. I really enjoyed reading Exclamation Marks. It was a breath of fresh air in the world of poetry. I felt some really upbeat, humorous, but also topical poetry. A massive thank you to Neil Lawrenson for taking the time out to chat to me. Please do go and check out his collection, Exclamation Marks, on Silhouette Press. It's available online. A thank you again to all the poets that have featured on Series 2 of People's Poetry Podcast. Although this is the end of Series 2, keep an eye out for the bonus episode, People's Poetry, in which I talk to someone who's not necessarily a poet about a poet that meant something to them or still means something to them ordinary people talking about poetry love it if you've enjoyed this episode or indeed this series please do tell someone we're on facebook and instagram as people's poetry podcast we're over on twitter at people underscore poetry i'm on twitter at jbo pens poems remember to give us a follow on whatever platform it is you are listening to us from be it spotify acast itunes or soundcloud if you are a person that loves poetry and would like to get involved with the people's poetry bonus episodes please do contact us on any of the social media platforms or send us an email people's poetry podcast at hotmail.com similarly if you are a poet that would like to come and chat to me or feature on it i've had lots of people get involved that way don't wait for me to come to you please i'd love to hear from you again on the social media or the emails a massive thank you for listening we'll be back very soon i've already got poets booked in for series three and i cannot wait to share those with you but an even bigger thank you for once again choosing poetry Until next time, I've been Jimmy Bowman.